Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of the direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Fried Green Tomatoes. In Fry Green Tomatoes, while visiting relatives, Evelyn, played by Kathy Bates, befriends nursing home resident Ninny Threadgood, played by Jessica Tandy. Ninny tells Evelyn the complicated story surrounding Iggy Threadgood, her best friend Ruth, and a small town murder in the 1920s. Screenplay by Carol Sobieski and Fanny Flagg, based on the novel by Fanny Flagg, directed by John Avnet, and released in Limited Cities on December 27, 1991. Have you seen Fried Green Tomatoes before? Yes, I've seen this movie a lot. I, I expected that it would be your answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this was my first watch. Okay. Completely. I, I knew nothing about it other than the fact that it had Kathy Bates and Jessica Tandy, um, and that it was called that. Okay. <laughs> but I knew nothing of the story or anything. Wow. Uh, I've avoided it this entire time. Not necessarily on purpose, just... You know, the title doesn't inspire me to go watch it. Go see it. Yeah. This is a mom and daughter type of movie. That's probably fair. I don't know. (laughs) This is the type of movie I did watch with my mom a lot. Like, if it was on TV, we would just watch it together. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Um, And even though it's marketed as a comedy at least in terms of award seasons yeah you know it's not that typical comedy that my family would have rented you know it's not yeah, like the it's naked more, gun style yeah it's, 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 it's not silly it's yeah. like a it's a dramedy i guess i don't yes yeah, so i don't know there's when much that term, more drama than yeah. there is comedy in this thing um but you know it helps with the awards if you can separate them out and say oh there's a few jokes in there but i will say that the comedy picks up a lot more in like the second half of the movie where it seems like it's trying to be specifically funny or maybe i'm just like the kathy Bates stuff yeah yeah or, or maybe just i learned her character by then that some of her actions are funnier mm. or maybe it's just that yeah she hits a breaking point and starts to fight back in life and then she's you know and her actions and the way she handles situations once she makes that Epiphany um, makes it a little bit funnier. I don't know. But even the flashback stuff seems to be a little bit funnier. Yeah. So, but not at first. Not for like the good, you know, hour plus. You know, it's just, it's almost pure drama. It's, yeah, that's true. I mean, you start off with a, her brother, you know, Iggy's brother dying on a train track. Right. Basically. So, it's not a very happy-go-lucky type of a a thing and then it transitions into you know something we should probably give a trigger warning about um yeah we should and and that we're going to be talking about domestic abuse um 
in this movie because it and does factor. There's also racism. Yes. The flashbacks are in the Depression era South. Yeah, it's like 1920s uh, to 1930s, depending on when they're, um, what part of the the story they're talking about. Um, in fact, I think in my opening, I said small town murder in the 1920s. I think that probably happened in the 30s. So, oops. <laughs> but whatever. The story begins in the 20s. When, it does. With Iggy as a kid. And then, you know, it just goes on to when she's an adult, I guess. A young adult. I mean, it doesn't really say, like, how old she re- she is. No, it doesn't. And it, and it's a little bit off-putting at first. So the first scene, uh, Iggy is maybe, well, like, first, ten years old yeah, or something. Yeah, the first story. Because the first scene in the movie is not really Iggy immediately. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's Kathy and her husband... Visiting but I mean, an like, aunt. the first flashback is Yeah, itchy. the first flashback scene. Yeah, and I forgot about this because I thought um, Iggy and Ruth grew up together. And I didn't realize that, like, Ruth was her brother's, like... Girlfriend. Girlfriend, I guess? Or, like, wannabe girl? Like, they were sort of starting to date or something? Mm-hmm. Or crush, whatever. And... I forgot about that. I just knew that they were, like, long-time best friends. Yeah, I think that's what was off-putting, is because Iggy appears about, like, 10, maybe 12 at the most, you know, in terms yeah. of you know, and age. Then what... And then Ruth looks exactly the same when they fast-forward, and now it's, you know, uh, Mary that's Stuart Masterson was... as an adult. Yeah. They... And Ruth looks exactly the same. Yeah. And... I mean, I was just trying... Maybe her brother or and Ruth were maybe, like, five to six years older. Yeah, it could They be. were probably teenagers. Yeah, it's tough to say. And that's a huge family, and there's a lot of characters who just sort of come and go, and yeah. Yeah, like, her family... She has a big family, but they only focus on... You know, in the beginning... Well, the first flashback, it's, you know, Iggy just gets along... With her brother, Buddy. Uh-huh. Like, it's her sister, Leona's wedding. Yeah, it's her older sister is getting married. Again. Yeah, you never see, like, anyone else in her. Because she has another brother. Because Ninny is the wife of her brother. Cleo. Who I don't... Cleo Threadgood. Who supposedly exists in the movie. There is a credit for a young Cleo. I don't know who... Young Cleo was. I, I thought it was... Okay, so in the first flashback, when Iggy comes down the stairs, she has to wear a dress for her sister's wedding. You know how Buddy is like, oh, you're doing great, blah, blah, blah. There was another boy that was like, oh, you look ugly. Like, not kind of making yeah, fun teasing, of her. Yeah, teasing like, her. Oh, making, disgusting. I yeah. thought that was Cleo. It's, it's not. It's Julian. Okay, well, then I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> Because they show older older Julian later on when they're trying to rescue Ruth. Yeah. And he's ha- he has the glasses. So oh, that's okay. how you know because okay. they want the glasses. Okay, I thought that was clean. <laughs> so she had she comes from a big family, but they don't show her whole family. It's just the older sister, Buddy for sure, and I guess Julian. Yeah, and they, and yeah, then they her. show Julian. But they don't say like how many kids are in her family. No. And like the dad only appears in that first scene and they don't really say what Yeah, she doesn't really 
I mean, when when they show like her older, it doesn't show her with her family. No, it's mostly with you know mostly her the mom help. and uh, yeah, yeah the, the mom and and the help which and is, the help. Uh, but I'm assuming that like all of her siblings just married and went off somewhere else. Right, and probably the dad passed away. But we don't. Yeah, know for they sure, never even said anything about, about the dad. Yeah, and then the mom passes away like off screen off screen they don't show it but like a year before this quote murder happened pretty much or before Before the the trial trial. before the trial so she pretty much has like no family except for the help yeah i mean they even say sort of like after buddy passes away because he gets hit by a train yeah in the beginning situation so basically like yeah he's chasing after ruth's hat on the train tracks and you kind of know that something's going to happen like right away when you like you, you, you when you focus a minute or so on him chasing a hat down train tracks even though you don't hear a train coming yeah you kind of know that something bad's going to happen anything with a train track <laughs> yeah you like if you watch like stand by me i don't know like anything with a train track yeah, anytime when you're dealing with, like, transportation and you're focusing on certain aspects for too long, I don't know, yeah. I have a really hard time watching scenes where people are driving and there's certain camera angles because it makes you think, okay, something's, they're going to get hit, you know? Yeah, if they focus too much on it. Yes. You know something's going to happen. Yes. Um, so he gets his boot stuck in the track in, like, some transitional section of the track, even though it's a straightaway and there shouldn't be any reason for that thing to exist he gets his boot stuck in some weird like you know track switching mechanism yeah and a train does now start to come and he can't get out they don't show him get hit which is good they show close-ups of people uh, ruth and, and young Iggy screaming and you <laughs> know you see him struggling because then he's trying to take his boot off and he does take his boot off yeah but, but you hear, like, a loud enough. horn of the train, and then Iggy and Ruth screaming. And then that's when everyone... This is during her sister's wedding. Yeah. Like, uh, everyone in the wedding goes down to see what's going on. And, you know, then they cut to his funeral. So, I mean, that's a good thing that they don't show... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're they definitely don't... trying to be, you know, it's a, either a PG or a PG-13 movie. Yeah, I'm they assuming don't... 13. Um, so, yeah, they're not trying to be graphic in any way. Yeah, which I'm, I'm glad they didn't. Because yeah, then there's, like, that. other, you know, there's other parts. Like, even with the murder, they don't really show right. him dying or dead. Yeah, you hear a clunk. Yeah, and, and then... you see him flop to the ground, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the most disturbing part is when Big George is getting uh, whipped by the KKK at some point. That's 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 the, the most, most graphic. I mean, and disturbing, even though you don't really well, see this, anything specifically. Yeah, that's the most disturbing. Enough. And then the second most disturbing part is when Ruth is leaving the house with Iggy when she's older, and he kicks her down the stairs. Oh yes, yes, definitely. Those are the most like disturbing parts. Yeah. Of the entire movie. Yeah, there's there's no gore, but there's definitely some disturbing moments in here. It, it took me aback that Buddy died because, you know, the, again, I've never seen the movie. And the opening credits, they show the cast and they say, you know, it's, here's Chris O'Donnell. And like he's like the third or fourth name yeah. on the credits. So I assumed he would have a bigger role. Um, 
But it's just but like a no. It's five really just like thing. this five minute thing. Uh, this is one of his first parts. He, you know, after this, he went on to do other stuff like Scent of a Woman and you know, um, Batman, Batman and Robin, <laughs> and Three Musketeers, and NCIS LA for like a million years. Um, this is one of his first parts, and honestly, like that first section, the acting was really bad. I'm so glad they were able to push past <laughs> that so quickly. Like Chris O'Donnell was not good, and young Iggy. I'm sorry, she just didn't, you know, she wasn't one of the best young actresses we've seen. Um, but, you know, it's a quick little, quick I mean, little moment there. They show them for five to ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. Something I wanted to ask you, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to this, because a lot of the awards, we'll get into the awards more later but a lot of the awards recognition came for tandy and bates Mm -hmm. but But that's not where most of the focus of the movie is and i don't really understand the appeal or or i i don't know why they were focused on instead of mary stewart masterson and mary louise parker who carried this movie yeah that's when i was looking at the awards again for this i was surprised to not see either of them nominated for anything yeah and it was just kathy bates and jessica tandy i mean kathy bates i like kathy bates in this movie so oh yeah i do too and then jessica tandy she just tends to just always play sort of the same character but i mean i like her in this movie too yeah so but it's just i i you resonate more with Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise. Their friendship or their relationship. Right. <laughs> there, there's more to it than that. Yeah, I know. Right? Um, I, I, I don't know if it's that the awards cycle just gets caught up on past winners and nominees. And so, you know, because Kathy Bates had recently won for Misery, like two years prior. Mm. Right. And then Jessica Tandy had just won from Driving Miss Daisy like a year before. And mm-hmm. so now here are these two Oscar winners who are coming through and they're in a movie together that is getting awards recognition. And, you know, it was released in late December, specifically yeah, to court the, the award system. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, Kathy Bates's character was good. Uh, had some nice progression throughout the whole thing. And I understand, you know, it's a fun person. Jessica Tandy she did what she could with what little she had. I mean, she was basically doing some brief narration mm-hmm. and she had some nuance in her face when she was saying certain things, especially near the end. And we can talk about the whole ending scene and the, the note on the grave and whatnot in a minute. But I mean, it's not enough to earn a nomination. No. Yeah, I agree. Cause I was surprised that neither of the, to Mary's, I guess, yeah. were nominated. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this is more... Because I think... what well, Didn't they get more nominations for Golden Globes? And it was more mostly under the comedy it was. section. Yeah, but... So th- and then, like, Mary Stuart Masterson or Mary Louise Parker, they were more of the drama. Well, they don't but, split the awards that way. Though. I know, but... If the movie's I think a comedy, uh, then everything's under comedy. Like, their part of the movie was the dramatic part. And, and so then the think Kath- that hurt them because they weren't as comedic? I guess. That's movie? what I'm thinking. I don't know. And then, like, Maybe. the Kathy Bates, Jessica Tandy part is the comedy. Hmm. Maybe. That, that's a good theory, at least. Um, but, yeah. It, 
whatever. Um, all we know is that Stu and Lou were not nominated. Um, I say that because that's apparently how John Abnett, yeah, the that's... director, had to reference them. Well, yeah, because they're, so they're both named names. Mary. I mean, yeah, Mary, Mary Stewart, Mary, Mary Louise. You could have said Mary Stu, Mary Lou. Yeah. So what was I? What was I talking about? Oh, the the bad acting transitions away into good acting as we get into the second part of things, basically. Um, I really liked the dynamic between Edgy and Ruth. Uh, you know, in terms of, like, the acting, the two performances, I thought they had a, a nice on-screen chemistry. Yeah. Um, Ruth's character took a long time to come out of her shell, which I think was obviously intentional. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I never read the book, which usually, I, I mean, when I was younger, I was not reading these books. But usually, like, now, I like to read the book and then see the movie, but I never read this book even afterwards but I think that's you know she's like this prim and proper lady and she grew up with the church like her father was yeah very religious very well he was a pastor and Mm -hmm. then you know she just grew up with the church so she was just known to be like this prim proper woman and And then Iggy is just Iggy's like the typical free spirit yeah uh, does not care what anyone thinks about her. And, I mean, it doesn't... I mean, her family is just is also religious, but I think Iggy seems like to be the youngest from what Possibly. it looks like. She's probably yeah. the youngest child out of, I don't know how many. I mean, Unless Cleo four. was youngest. We yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah, we, we don't, don't know. know like, Cleo but she seemed to be the youngest. So, like, her parents were, like, whatever. Like, by the time, like... Iggy was born they were just like let her do whatever type of thing yeah also I think they they explain away a lot of her behavior because of Buddy's death yeah like yeah I mean and they just let her be on her she, own she I mean Buddy was her BFF growing up mm-hmm. she like he understood her and it seemed like no one else in her family really did maybe her mom a little right but I mean that's her mom and then her and Buddy were just you know side by side until and then he died, and it really, I mean, she, like, her grieving process, she just decided to leave her home, but I think she just came back whenever she felt like it. They, yeah, all they, they really say is that Big George took care of her. Okay. But, I mean, they were on the property because Big George was helping around the house. Yeah, Big George was helping her family around so yeah, same i mean he was just looking after her when she was around yeah it was big she george was kinda, and Sipsy. they made it seem as if she was living this like tom sawyer huckleberry finn lifestyle in in a way i mean she was coming and going as she pleased yeah she spent you know when we catch up with her she's in the like second fishing part of it, on her own yeah, fishing on, on her own she's going to the the local hangout to gamble and drink with all the yeah i mean that's probably like, that. like her way of getting money and then her own food possibly yeah and then she just and comes just, yeah, home rebelling. to for to say hi to her family like every once in a while it seems like and she still has a good off. relationship with her mom right yeah she yeah. comes back from fishing and you know hands sipsy the fish and says hi to her mom and everything yeah so they're they're still a good relationship there's yeah she's and allowed they, to be free yeah but, yeah i think her mom was like i'm not gonna force her to 
do anything just you know let her live her life but then but that's when they bring um ruth back because so ruth is now maybe see i don't know the timeline no and i guess ruth is what like uh, iggy is what like 21 maybe (laughs) and then ruth is like 25 26 i really don't know like iggy is probably like late teens early 20s and then ruth is mid 20s and for some reason so she comes back to like help with the kids from her church like her father's church i guess yeah something like that some like summer school type of a thing yeah because she's only there for the summer so i don't know if she was like at college or they don't really say i don't i don't know yeah if she... they don't say where she was i don't think but after the summer she's gonna go back to georgia um so i don't know if this that's... takes place in alabama like everything is in alabama yeah. on the edgy side so she's gonna go back to georgia and get married but i don't know if that's where her husband was from or if her family lived there as well they don't really explain no, they don't but I There's know a lot that, that's probably left out that's yeah. in the book. Yeah, that's why I'm like, I don't, I didn't read the I mean, I know certain things that happens in the book that did not happen in the movie, which sure. we can talk about later. Probably a lot of it has to do with the relationship stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, in general, so during the, the summer, Ruth and Iggy reconnect um, and they become very close throughout the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, but I think her mom Ruth gets taken wanted... out of her shell. Yeah, her mom wanted Ruth to, like, bring her back to her family, sort of, or, like, bring her to her senses to, like, become an adult. Maybe. Because they show Ruth and her mom talking, and she's like... Yeah, maybe this wasn't a good idea. So there's, there's two ways I could think about this, right? Because, one, Ruth is... A woman of God, right? She's, yeah. you know, very religious, and Iggy's the free spirit who needs to be possibly reined in, and so that could be part of the plan is to give her some structure and boundaries. Or, you know how there was that one little scene, or one shot, really, in the beginning where Buddy and Ruth and Iggy were walking along the bridge, mm-hmm. and Iggy run, you know, holds her hand back and, you know, yeah, takes they her hold his hands. Hand. Yeah. Is there a chance, because they really flattened the relationship side of the movie, is there any chance that the mother brought her in because she knew how much Iggy loved Ruth and wanted to sort of reconnect them in that way? Or because Ruth was Buddy's girlfriend and they both had a similar trauma happen to them. Right. And so they can bond through this trauma. Yeah, like talk and fully heal through that yeah we'll assume one of those three um (laughs) if someone who's read the book maybe i'll like read the book actually yeah they certainly do different things with this than what i heard at least in terms of the ending of the book because there is another little you know what if scenario that we haven't touched on at all Mm -hmm. um that i think is more clarified in the book from what i was reading so yeah um i i like that aspect of this movie, I like that aspect of movies where there is some ambiguity and you can make your own interpretation. Yeah. You know, so it could be like one of those three types of scenarios as to why Ruth is back at all. Um, and any of them fit. You know, you can you can make all of them work and that's great. Um, but if the idea was to rein 
Iggy in through Ruth, it backfires because Ruth becomes more of a, you know, an open person and a free spirit Well, she sees how Iggy, I mean, Iggy is not a bad person. No, she's just very eccentric and daring. She's kind of like the Robin Hood and Huckleberry Finn of the whistle stop area i don't know like because she's just like everyone in that town knows how she is Mm -hmm. like the men and women they just know that she's just this free-spirited woman and you know she's never gonna want to get married or settle down and have kids which is what like every woman during that time should be doing maybe that's why they brought ruth in Right. To, like, be like, oh, because there are times, like, when Ruth, you know, when the summer ends and Ruth is like, well, I'm going to marry whatever the fuck. Frank. (laughs) Like, at the end of the summer, I'm getting married to Frank and we're moving to Georgia. That's just, like, what women did. And then she's like, what about you? Like, are you going to settle down? To Iggy. Right. Iggy's like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's always sort of careful with her language in that way to basically try to say, oh, you know, you know she skirts the issue because yeah, she, she doesn't want to admit. She's like, who you know, she I have. Or she admit her feelings yeah, she's like, or whatever it is. I have a bunch of prospects, and that's pretty yeah. much it. Like, yeah, a lot of people are courting, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um,. But yeah, I mean, Iggy is the type of free spirit, you know, she's the one who will, you know, hop on the train and distribute food to the, you know, the homeless that are nearby on the tracks, and, um, she'll stick her hand in a beehive to literally steal honey from the bees, (laughs) because she has, you know, that, that confidence about Mm -hmm. her. And Um, then Ruth is just very attracted to that, I guess, I mean, she just, I guess she's just never seen any other woman do these things yes. like be because everyone you know in the south during that time you have to be like the women have to be like just quiet and do whatever the man says or whatever or god or do whatever is godly and this is not exactly quote godly even though she is more like godly than like anyone else in the town because she is the one that's like helping all of the black people, all the homeless people, like, yeah. And she's befriending all of these people that others look down on. Yep. And then Ruth is just enamored by that. Yeah. The only way she's not godly is the way she heckles the pastor, you know. Yeah. I mean, but she, I think she does that out of just, you know, love to get a rise out of him or whatever. She's not doing it because she hates him or anything. She just kind of like. I think, yeah, I think she's just anti organized religion. Oh, yeah. But because she has her own, like, her religion is just like be good to others. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much what you're supposed to learn from organized religion right not be judgmental agreed <laughs> <laughs> okay um, so yeah uh i don't know if we want to go through this plot by plot mm, i don't know i, I mean I we, we really kind of did it. um but it, i mean we're mostly talking about like the iggy ruth and that but like going back and forth i mean as kathy like evelyn is learning about 
Iggy's story, she's becoming, because Iggy is probably more kind of like how Ruth is, where she's the housewife. You mean Evelyn is more like how Ruth is? Yes. Did I say that? You said Edgy. You said yeah. Iggy was more like how Ruth oh, is. Oh, I don't, I don't, okay, Evelyn, sorry. And then Evelyn is more like how Ruth is, and you know, just the housewife quite does whatever her husband wants, mm-hmm. you know. And then it's established that like they have a son, and the son is you know probably out to college recently. They don't yeah, really empty nesters. Yeah, so she's trying to ignite something with her husband again, like more of a relationship because, and plus she's like not. She can't be a housewife anymore because, like, her son is gone. So she's probably like, what do I do now? Because I don't have a child to take care of anymore. So she just, like, she's starting to take those classes with her friends about exploring. Like, it's more, I don't even know. It's like exploring yourself, but then also trying to, like... It, yeah, it's how ignite something with your, your marriage. marriage it's now like that marriage you're counseling old. with only one person. Yeah, it's but it's like women's counseling and to help them with their marriage mm-hmm. because they do things where they have to look at their own vaginas in a mirror, like yeah. to I don't know get like back into their own sexuality or something. Right? Or they talk about. Um... They make a joke about wrapping themselves in cellophane or whatever. And yeah. Your husband at the door is sort of like a sexy surprise, which I don't. I've never even heard of. I've never even heard of that. That was a weird one. But they show like a. I don't know if it was a real flashback to her. Doing I think that, that was her thinking about. Well, if that was just her. Yeah. yeah daydreaming about. I how think it would she go. was daydreaming like, what would I look like in cellophane, and how would my husband react to me? Yeah. Because then she asks him. After yeah. making him dinner one day, like what would you, what would you how, do? <laughs> what would you do if I was wrapped in cellophane? He was like, I would take you to the loony bin or something. Mm-hmm. That's what he would say. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense to me. Either. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, why? Why is it okay? Um, but yeah, she she's more. She's in, trying to do something to improve herself is the main thing. Yeah, and then. It's not really working with these classes, and she's trying to connect with her husband, but, you know, he just comes home from work. She makes him dinner already on the table, but he takes the dinner and goes straight to, like, the armchair TV tray and watches, like, any sports on TV. Yeah. And pretty much ignores Evelyn, and then she's, like, trying to really connect with him. Yeah. And just nothing that she does is working. Yeah, but she develops this relationship with Ninny Threadgood because she, in the beginning, she is visiting, like, an old folks' home with her husband, and they're visiting, his name is Ed, (laughs) just kidding, Ed Couch. Ed Couch, played by Gallard Sartain? I'm not Gallard? Sure yeah. Gallard Sartain? He's going to be in a few more 1991 movies. Yeah. Uh, Death Falls, Guilty by Suspicion, and The Chase. In a few I know movies. him the most in, like, uh, The Ernest Hay- yeah. Hayburn. Yeah, he's big in the, it's in Ernest. the Ernest uh, universe. Um, yeah, I didn't write a whole lot about him because he's going to be covered more. Yeah. There's a huge cast in this. I know. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so 
they they're visiting his aunt, which they never show his aunt, never but I show. guess I guess the aunt does not like Evelyn, so Evelyn is just, you know, in the waiting room while Ed is visiting with his aunt, and then that's when she meets up with Nitty, and then, you know, they start to form this bond over this story that Nitty is telling her every time she visits. And then this story between Iggy and Ruth is inspiring her to be more like Iggy, I guess, just, you know, confident and you know, thinking outside the box and just, you know, sticking up for herself and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, so you get, it's not really a direct parallel, but you can see, you know, exactly, you can see the inspiration and how she's going to take different steps and how if you don't like something about yourself, go ahead and try to change it yourself. So, I mean, the classes are a good thought, but, you know, she's doing things in the early scenes like eating candy bars constantly. Yeah. And so she transitions into, like, a healthier snack later on. I forget what it was just like. Was, but, um, it was just like cut up carrots and yeah, some like I think raw. She said crudite. She said crudite, which is cut up raw vegetables, basically. So yeah, and then you see her like on a little mini trampoline, and she's gonna go to the gym and stuff. So she's yeah, you know, she's she, she has a job. She's she's like Mary Kay. She's selling yeah, she gets makeup. her own job to like make friends or you know just be out in the world more. Because she, I mean, she was just a housewife, and then yeah. now she's like, what do I do with yeah. my life? And then there's, like, sometime in the movie, like, one of my favorite quotes that she said is she's like, I'm too old to be young, but too young to be old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I'm wondering, is she, like, our age at this point? I don't know. It could be. But, I mean, she's probably, like, 45-ish. Maybe. Yeah, it could be. It's tough to say. I mean, there is a subtle physical transformation in her, too. Like, in the way that she does her makeup and hair throughout the movie as well. Yeah. To try to, you know, age her down or something. Because they don't really say... But, I mean, you're assuming that, you know, if you have, like, an 18-year-old kid, you're probably, like... I don't know. If you if you got married early and had kids early, you're like in your 40s mm-hmm. at this point. It's always hard to judge ages in right. kids that are 30 years old because, you know. I know. Everyone looks older Everyone in looks, the past. Yeah. Like, sh- I don't know how old Kathy Bates was at this time. No, me Because I, I always assume, I always assumed that she's just like 50 forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing against Kathy Bates. No, it's just, you know, just, it's just the way like, the mind works. Like, the first time I saw her, when I assumed she was, like, 50. Something. And then when I see her now, I'm like, oh, she's still 50. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Even though she's, like, 70s now, yeah, probably. Knows? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you got that arc and everything. Um, and then you have the Ruth and Niji arc, which takes, you know, a lot more of a roller coaster type of a ride. Because you go through the, the whole thing with, with Frank and their house and rescuing her from the abuse. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's where we see older Julian come in with with Big George to help Ruth move out. Um, yeah. And by the way, just real quickly, older Julian, did you recognize him at all? Because uh, like I was trying to place the face, and then finally IMDb helped me figure out put the pieces together. I've seen his face. Yeah. I think everyone on this podcast who's <laughs> listening to this podcast has seen his face at some point. Uh, Haynes Brook. He's best known as being the Jimmy Dean's son. Oh, okay. So, like, you know, the guy who dressed up in the son costume and, like, 
hawked sausages for mm-hmm. a decade. Uh, that's him. But he's also in Sleepaway Camp 3. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, this weird villainous, uh, like, just total a-hole guy who gets his comeuppance at some point. So, um, yeah, the Jimmy Dean son is in this movie. They're with, with Big George. Um, who, yeah, they, they rescue Ruth from Frank uh, and take her back to Alabama. Um, right. And, yeah, and that's where that... that disturbing scene happens of her being kicked down the stairs i will say at that point okay i guess we'll get into this (laughs) at that point when that happened that led me to think that iggy or that ninny was ruth because slightly later on in the movie right um ninny says that she had a child named albert who had a mental disability uh, and lived until he was like 30 and then mm. passed away. Mm. I thought because Ruth had been kicked down and we hadn't seen the son yet. No, in but the movie, she's probably early age, early in the early ages of pregnancy, like six to eight weeks right. pregnant. But I don't know but how. But in my that head, would... like I was making that connection, oh, maybe mental disability because she had the The baby fall at that point is like pregnancy. the size of a peanut, so I don't. Yeah, I know. I'm just telling you, that's where I thought. Or the fetus. Okay. The the main thing is, like, I I, didn't think that Ninny was Ninny. I thought Ninny was either going to be Iggy or Ruth, and that made me think think that she was going to be Because when I was younger watching this, I thought Ninny was Iggy because of the ending with Bee Charmer letter and then the honey at the grave, right where she was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. But then... It can't be because in the beginning of this movie, when Ninny introduces herself to Evelyn, she's like, I am Mrs. Cleo Threadgood. And then she talks about her husband, Cleo. And then she even said that she had a crush on Buddy Threadgood when she was younger. So they don't show her in the past yeah, stories. Yeah. <sighs> I still think that she could be Iggy. I still think it's possible. I think she could be. I think in the spinning books, spinning a tall it's... tale. She's spinning a good thread. Thread good. You know what I mean? Okay. I mean that honestly. Like that. I think that that last name is on purpose. So you, you know? think she just na- renamed herself? I think she yeah, sort of adopted name, or... that name. I mean, she says that From she's Iggy basically an Nini? adopted member of the family. Even though she was married to supposedly one of the Cleo Threadgood people that we don't see in the movie, well, and if she was around, why is she not like inserting herself into the story? I at think all? in the like the movie that makes you think that she is Iggy, but I think in the books it's a clear it's, clear separation. It's in the clear book. separation that she is not Iggy. Yeah, but I think there is ambiguity. I think you yeah. can interpret some of these things and say, you know, even if. Buddy was her brother. Her saying that she had a crush on her brother doesn't mean that she wanted to date him. So she's just telling a tall tale. Yeah, uh, just sort of exaggerating how much she admired her brother. Right, right. I get it. The weird phrasing of saying how she admires her brother. Because even she talks about this friend, Mrs. Otis, Ninny, talks about how she's going to move in with this friend, Mrs. Otis. Yeah. Who turns out to be... We didn't even talk about Sipsy yet. Not much. Yeah. Who who was Cicely Tyson in the movie. 
I've oddly credited as special appearance by Cicely Tyson. Even though re- Cicely really Tyson has been in a, a bunch of other things. But... Um, so it's that's... not really a special appearance. She's like a legitimate supporting character. Yeah. <laughs> She's in but a lot I was, of scenes. I was thinking, like, is Sipsy and Big George, are they married to each other? It, it's... I know that they say these things at some point, but I don't fully know their relationship. I think Sipsy is Big George's mother. Oh. I'm honestly not 100% sure, but there is a significant age difference between them. So I think it's oh, okay. that Sipsy is because his mother. Yeah, you see them and, and you see the little girl, but I don't know who the little she I don't know the little Sipsy's daughter or whoever that little girl is if it's Big George's daughter. Because okay, we we are told when Ninny Threadgood she's going to get out of this old folks home. She's going to move in with my friend mrs otis and then we learn that mrs otis is big george's and well not big george sipsy's daughter okay i thought they said babysitter and like i wrote a question down like mrs otis was sipsy's babysitter and she just died like just no now? no like, i don't know it, there's a lot of weird mrs otis the relationship sipsy's names are not very clear in this movie all sipsy's time. daughter that's where I was like, okay. oh, because so then... that's who that little girl must have been. Then. Yeah, that little girl was probably... They don't say her first name, so Mrs. Otis. Okay. So we're but they don't show, some relationships they don't, wrong, and I yeah. apologize to anyone who knows the answer. And yeah, they don't show... Through. Yeah, they don't show her, Mrs. Otis, when she's older, but they do show Mrs. Otis's daughter, because when right. Evelyn meets Ninny... At one point, she's like, oh, I'm Mrs. Otis's daughter. And that's when she tells Evelyn that Ninny's house was condemned and she has nowhere to go. And she's not going to live with her and her mother. Right. But then we also find out that Mrs. Otis dies. Yeah, near the end. Near the end, where Evelyn thinks Ninny dies. Because this is near the end, where... Evelyn has built this relationship with Ninny so much and then she knows about how Ninny doesn't have a home so she tells her husband I want like more than anything in the world for Ninny to live with us mm-hmm. and he's kind of like are you sure type of oh he's very anti yeah he's anti he, he, that's like the biggest argument they have in the whole movie because they don't really show they don't show a bad relationship in terms of you know language or yelling or fights between ed and evelyn it's more just that ed completely He's ignores like, evelyn's existence this? except yeah. for hey give me my food and drink please thank you very much i'm gonna watch the game now right but that's yeah that's the only time they get into any sort of like argument and it's not like super heated or anything it's just yeah but it's, it's like, established type of a thing. it's established at the very end evelyn's taking ninny home yeah. And she's like, I don't care what my husband says. Right, yeah, because she's now more of an edgy type of a person. Yeah. So, I mean, at, at the end when they see that note left on Ruth's grave and the, and the honey and everything, and, and I guess there's two ways you could think about that as well, right? So you could either think that, okay, edgy, well, I guess three, right? Uh, either edgy is a third person who did leave that note and is now gone because Ninny says... Um, oh yeah, maybe we'll we will see Iggy today. 
Because right. we see the honey at yeah, Ruth's Evelyn, grave. Evelyn says, oh, maybe maybe we'll see Iggy. And, and Ninny's like, yeah, maybe we will. With like a little knowing smile type of a thing. But and then, so that could be that I was also thinking her. like... Oh, like, so oh, you're seeing me right now. Right. That's or, what I thought when I was younger watching yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's what you're meant to think is, is at least a possibility. Or maybe she's saying that Evelyn is an Iggy now. Mm-hmm. Like, like, oh, like Iggy lives and, through and you. Like Iggy lives within all of us, like you and me, yeah. type of thing. Because I mean, if you take it literal, like Iggy might be here, but I mean, so at that point, Nini is like what eighty four, I think, because she had her birthday and she was in her 80, 84, I think. And I'll then I was you. like, <laughs> I was like, well, then Iggy would have would have been what, like ninety maybe. Yeah. If she's still alive. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, the more I'm thinking about it, the, the more I'm thinking about the beginning scene where Ed is on a payphone at the rundown Whistle Stop Cafe mm-hmm. that's been closed down, and um, Evelyn hears the ghost train go by. Yeah. That Ed doesn't hear. So there is like a little bit of like a supernatural essence. She's like, did you hear? Floating throughout hear the that? movie yeah. in a way. So. Well, she has, like, she's feeling the essence of this little town, yeah. I guess. She's getting like that she's connection. In, yeah, she's enamored by it or whatever. So, weirder things have happened. Um, but again, I like the ambiguity of the whole situation. You know, I can easily understand why someone would not think that Ninny and Iggy are the same person. I'm going to choose that they are. Mm-hmm. And I don't think either one is right or wrong. The book clearly spells it out and says that they are two separate people, but that doesn't mean that the movie has to be the same. Right. Let's talk about the title. Yes. Fried Green Tomatoes, because they show up about an hour in. I mean, you see it on the sign at the very beginning, but to actually see the actual food, Fried Green Tomatoes, it doesn't happen until like an hour in when, um, at some point That's in the story, Ruth they have and the food fight. open up a, yeah. a kitchen together. Um or, or they open up a diner together, which advertises fried green tomatoes, and it's mm-hmm. already open and established. And yet, Iggy's like saying, "Hey, do you like these? <laughs> you know, like what about putting this on the menu? This thing that's already on the marquee, right?" Um, and yeah, Ruth is basically saying these are terrible, and then they get into a playful food fight. Uh, which in the book, this is where. It's supposed to be more um, sexual, I guess. Yeah, I could understand that. It, so, I, from what you know of the book, is the title and that scene sort of meant to be a representative of when they fell in love fully or something, or became like more of a couple? I think so. I mean, that's just, it was just meant to be more intimate. It's like an intimate scene between the two of them. But, if you see it in the movie, because they're in the kitchen and they have patrons in the front watching them, and they're like, "What the hell's going on with these ladies?" Yeah. Like, so I don't the guy know. Who plays the sheriff, Grady. Uh, yeah, comes by, like, it's yeah. just like a romance. Like, I don't know if they had. I don't know if that scene, the food fight scene, like engaging in that in the book, finally um, ignites something between the two ladies. I mean, I compare, like, this book, or even this movie, I compare it, I was thinking about 
the color purple a lot. Yeah. Because I read, I mean, the movie and the book, the book, the color purple is different from the movie. And then there is the same ambiguity of this lesbian relationship in the color purple that it happens in the book but mm-hmm. it will never it didn't happen in the movie but you sort of see like this bond between two women that it it's like a did it or did it not happen type of thing like a very ambi- ambiguous yeah i think ambiguity it's, I, I but think i mean that's like late are... 80s early 90s where they're not going to show an actual lesbian relationship at that point I mean, they will in certain circumstances, but they're afraid of, yeah, the mass appeal if they show too much of it. Right. Yeah. No, I think they both have that in there to the degree where if you are old enough to recognize that type of thing, you're going to see it. But if yeah. we're 10 or 11 years old and watching this type of movie, I don't think I would have ever picked up on that aspect I of didn't it when I was younger, but then, like, reading this... I mean, even watching it now, you can see they're... I mean, they do love each other. Yes. They have a bond. You don't hear them say it except for in the courtroom scene. Right. You do hear Ruth say, I love her. Yes, in, and un- I love under her. Under oath. Yeah, under yeah. oath, I love her. Yeah. So that's the first time we hear it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely there. You can clearly tell it's more than a friendship, but it's not so overt that it's going to ruffle the pearls of the clutchers. So another thing is, I know Mary Louise Parker, growing up, she was in a lot of movies where she was always the dying lady. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't really notice that. I, I I didn't. I'm not a huge uh, film buff in that way where I you know recognize those things. I know Mary Louise Parker from some of her other stuff, but not. I haven't seen her a whole lot. I haven't seen a lot of what she's been in. I because oh, I know that she in the, from watching it when I was younger, and then she's in another movie, Boys on the Side. I don't know if you've seen it. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I don't want to say it's similar, but she has like similar characterization in that. And she also dies young in that. And I was like, is she just the young lady that dies (laughs) in every movie? Until I started watching, like I didn't see her for a really long time until I I started watching Weeds. I was like, oh, it's her. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's Mary Louise Parker. Yeah, I think she had something of a little bit of a gap in, in terms of like big roles until weed started happening then she got all the you know emmy nominations for that she was on west wing as well and she got nominated for that um she won an emmy for angels in america um but i mean yeah she i guess we'll find out when we watch 1991's grand canyon because she's in that as well if she dies young in that movie then i don't know if anyone dies in grand canyon but <laughs> um uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I get that movie confused with The Big Chill, so I can't oh, remember. Grand Canyon? Yeah, so I can't remember which, what happened. I have happened. seen Big Chill. I have not seen Grand Canyon. Both of those movies are too much alike that I can't remember who was what. And I think the only person who dies in Big Chill is uh, 
Kevin Costner at the very beginning, right? He's like dead from the start. I, I honestly don't remember. Like, I'm pretty sure. Those two movies like mix in my mind that I can't remember. Like it, the, Those are two movies that I saw when I was younger and they were like the same movie to me. Okay. Um, but I do wish because the title was Fried Green Tomatoes that there was more food involved in the movie. I mean, they I talk mean, about their barbecue being the best barbecue in all of Alabama. Yeah, they do. They don't show a whole lot of the food. And you know, like, there's a like, little bit of cakes and pies at the beginning for the yeah. wedding. You see the fried green tomatoes a couple different you times. You see when they open up their you diner, see the you see all the pie because she's. Yeah. They're always. I guess they're known for the pie because they're always offering pie. Yeah. And like I don't know if we should get into this, but like the disturbing part. I don't know if this was true, but when we find out what happens to about Frank's death, you know, at the very end, Ninny was like, "This is what really happened," you know, because throughout mm-hmm. the movie, it is. It's implied that implied he's chopped that... up and served to the folks. Well, no, it's implied that, like, Iggy killed him, because throughout the movie, she's like, if you touch Ruth again, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill you. Like, she's, she literally says that, and then when she does go to trial, they're like, didn't you threaten to kill him? She's like, yeah, but, you know. Um, yeah, so at the very end, Ninny's like, here's how he died. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, yeah. Here's the way it really happened. Yeah. And, you know, so he is accidentally killed because he comes in and he is part of the KKK with these other dudes from Georgia. They want to take back... Oh, we didn't even talk about the baby. This is, like, Ruth's son. His name is Buddy Jr. Buddy Jr. So I was... (laughs) And I was like, is that his middle name, though? Because how can he be Buddy Jr. when it's not the literal son of Buddy? And it can't have the same name unless it's na- you name him Buddy Threadgood Jr. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the rules might have been different in the I know, but I was like, but I was like, is his name Buddy, middle name Junior, and then I don't know what last name they would use. Like, is it I forget what Jameson for Ruth yeah, Jameson? Yeah, Jameson, Jameson? So he's Buddy Junior Jameson. Probably. Okay. <laughs> and then so, like... <laughs> He comes in and tries to take Buddy Jr. back because that's his son. And then that's when Sipsy is like, no, you, you know, she's like defending the baby, but also Ruth is. But, you know, he kind of pushes Ruth to the side and Sipsy's like standing up for her. She's like, you don't scare me type of thing. And then this older man who is like kind of like this drifter homeless man that... Smokey. Yeah, Smokey. Smokey Lonesome. Yeah, Iggy and Ruth. Yeah, (laughs) Iggy and Ruth help him out a lot. So he's just, you know, a friend of Ruth's and Iggy's. Yeah, comes in. He's like, "What's going on?" And then he's like, "You can't take Miss Ruth because he loves Ruth." He says that like in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "You cannot take Ruth's baby," and you know, fight. Not even a fight. Like just Frank pushes him down. And Sipsy, but then Sipsy takes a frying pan and just hits him up against the head, and then he clunks down. So he's dead, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then she calls Big George, and then Big George gets Iggy, and that's when they're like, Well, what are we gonna do? And it's implied, they don't show this at all, that they chop up his body mm-hmm. and they serve him as barbecue. Yes. 
which that's kind of disturbing. I mean, but, yeah. Because they never see a body. No, they so never find a body. They never find a body, so. Um, and they keep on saying, I mean, if yeah, that the really happened, I sauce. was like, okay. That's even the tagline of the movie, The Secret of Life, The Secret's in the Sauce. Yeah, that's kind of... <laughs> so, like, knowing how the movie ends up is kind of a weird tagline to choose. Apparently, there are, like, uh, deleted scenes or extended scenes. If you're watching it on, like, TV, they add some additional context to some of these things where... You know, Grady says that he's not in the KKK, even though he's accused of it in uh, by Iggy in this. Um, there's parts where you know, uh, Big George refuses to serve a couple of the the other uh, black kids who are trying to get oh. some of that barbecue because he knows what it is and he doesn't want to feed it to him. Oh. So like, there's stuff like that that's cut out of the theatrical version that I guess exists in other versions that might be on TV or whatever. Like on a DVD special? Yeah, something where they have to pad the running time to make it fit a certain length with commercials and whatnot. So, so yeah, it, yes, it, there's a the strong implication that, yes, he has been served to... Um, the, I don't know how they choose who to serve it to. Like, well, they definitely it to the serve town. it to the Georgia, that detective yeah, guy, Yeah, they, they serve it to the, the Georgia detective, but, I mean... They don't have any animosity to the mass, vast majority of the town, so like they're just gonna like feed a person. I thought they something. would just like feed him to the pigs, and then the pigs that they use for barbecue, so they ate him. Maybe. And then the pigs meat from eating him. I don't know. That's what I was. Maybe. I was like getting way, you still have the thinking too much of, into it. Yeah, you still have the same type of weird yeah thing going on. But I mean. I mean, what about his bones and stuff? Whatever. I mean, this yeah. is the 30s. They're yeah. not going to do DNA. There's it's no also, DNA testing and it's stuff. It's also just a, a movie. I know. Where, we, where they leave out a whole bunch of stuff in between. Yeah, that's why I'm parts, like, should so. I just read the book to find out like if there's more info about his death? Also with Buddy Jr., we do have another train situation mm-hmm. where you think that Buddy Jr. also dies by getting hit by a train. He's just... Okay, it is established that he is five years old at this point, but he looks full-on seven or eight. Yeah, at least. But, um, you know, Ruth is te- a teacher. She's, like, teaching kids outside. And this is well-established that, you know, that... Frank is gone. They don't know that he's dead. I think they're just, she's happy that they're he's assumed, yeah. assumed that he's just gone and has left her alone for life, I guess. So things are back to being normal and happy life for her. And that's, you know, you see everyone eating at the Whistle Stop Cafe. She's teaching her kids outside. And then, you know, Buddy Jr. is out running and playing. And he's on the tracks, and then you hear, like, him crying, and, you know, it's the same thing all over again with Buddy. And then you see another funeral, but it's a funeral for his arm. So evidently he got his, he got run over by a train, but just his arm. Just his arm, which that's traumatizing as well. And, yeah, like, he doesn't seem to care a whole lot except, like, oh, kids make fun of me because I have to play baseball different. Right. And then (laughs) if you were Iggy and Ruth, wouldn't you be, like, never go by the train ever at all without, like, some sort of supervision because Buddy died? Yeah. Like, wouldn't you be, like, so traumatized by that you wouldn't want, like, your own son yeah, or, you know, maybe the town could do something to prevent people from being on the tracks at all. 
Right. Since they know someone who died there in general. But, eh, whatever. Oh, it was the 30s. I don't know. Yeah. They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it is a part of life being run over by train. <laughs> right. So. Uh, but, yeah, everything works out fine. And then, but we never learn what happens to Buddy Jr. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, well, because then soon afterwards, Ruth comes down with cancer. I don't know, is That's it... That's what they say, yeah. I don't know if it was, like, ovary... Because her mother also died from cancer when um, Iggy came to visit her the first time after she got married. She's like, my mother died. Oh. And then she talks about... Her yeah, there's like death. a potential um, covert message in the obituary. About her. Um, yeah, basically asking Iggy to come. Yes. To see her. Because, I mean, they didn't speak to each other for a really long time. It didn't say how many years, but... Yeah. But, I mean, so, I mean, her mother, Ruth's mother, died from cancer, and then she gets cancer, and then it's like a matter of weeks before she finally just dies but then you know i'm assuming iggy takes care of buddy jr like iggy and then big george and sipsy like they are they're all now the family for buddy jr yeah after after ruth passes away that's really the end of the story um and then ninny um has her you know she leaves the nursing home with that you know that confusion of mrs otis passing away and whatnot and so ninny leaves the nursing home and then yeah there's that little last coda where she tells evelyn how frank really died but yeah they don't go into what happened between buddy jr that's in itchy after that they don't talk about how that was handled or give any sort of resolution and i'm sure that that was intentional to possibly build that ambiguity of is ninny iggy at the very end mm. you know you don't want to ta- say too much about where she went from there because you want people to believe that ninny could be iggy and so maybe it is handled more in the book because um, i think in the book they say what iggy passes away uh at some point right and, and so they can't be the same person because ninny is still alive and telling right. everybody these things but iggy has literally died in, mm-hmm. in the course of the book so uh spoiler for the book as well as the movie um but either way i mean honestly it's it's i didn't miss that i didn't need to know what happened to buddy to have a satisfying end to this yeah movie. you know there's a lot of characters that you're kind of like introduced to and you don't really know what happens to them they just float in and out the main thing was Iggy and Ruth's relationship and so once that is officially over right with Ruth's passing then it's okay to wrap it up we'll quickly go into casting crew then um we'll talk about John Abnett very briefly here the director of the movie he was Emmy nominated for uh the burning bed and the starter wife I don't know either of those projects uh the burning bed and starter wife I don't know what they are uh but they <laughs> they were Me things either. that he was Emmy nominated for um, he's mostly known as a producer rather than a director. He produced Homeward Bound, Risky Business, um, Mighty Ducks. He also directed Up Close and Personal in 88 Minutes, which was an Al Pacino movie. Um, he also uh, produced the 1991 movie Backfield in Motion, which is that Roseanne Barr, Tom Arnold thing. So we got that to look forward to. 
Um, Carol Sobieski had passed before this movie was released. She died in 1990 from liver disease, uh, but she was known for writing things like Annie and The Toy and also Money for Nothing, which came out after her passing. Uh, she also wrote a couple episodes of The Born Identity, which was back in 1988, and I did not know that there was a version of Born Identity from the 80s. Me neither. I, I did not know that. It existed. It starred Richard Chamberlain and Jacqueline Smith. Like um, on... It's like, I think it's TV? like a limited, I think it's just two episodes. I think it's like a limited series type of a thing or a mini series event. Like a, okay. But that that's all I gathered from it. She also wrote a whole bunch of episodes of Peyton Place, that soap opera. Uh, the other writer, Fanny Flagg, uh, was also mostly known for her comedy stuff rather than her writing up until this point. Um, she was did some acting in Laugh-In, she was on the new Dick Van Dyke show, Harper Valley PTA, she did a lot of work for Candid Camera, uh, she was doing a whole bunch of game show appearances on Match Game, Hollywood Squares, uh, Pyramid, so she was known as like a comedian and actress, and then transitioned and did some writing, and this book was like her big, big breakout. Um, Kathy Bates we know, talk about her win in misery, um, we'll see her again, uh, in at play in the fields of the lord and also shadows and fog uh, she's also in a movie called the road to mecca which is not on our list we're not able to find a copy of that to watch um and interestingly she's not in the movie frankie and johnny but that part for frankie was written for her but she lost out on the role <laughs> she was in like a stage production but not in the feature film version That's... of frankie and johnny that would have been weird. I mean, I've seen Frankie and Johnny, and that's that would have been a probably weird, both like parts her... would have had to been cast differently. Yeah, because I'm like I'm because Mich- it's I'm, Michelle Pfeiffer as yeah, Frankie instead I'm, of Kathy Bates, but I'm it was written of specifically her, for Kathy Bates. I'm thinking of her and Al Pacino in that movie, <laughs> and I'm like, it's not working in my mind. Like, so I don't know. We we can talk about that more when we get into it because I've never seen the movie, but it's just a really interesting piece of 1991 trivia in there uh jessica tandy we also talked about um i think this is her only 1991 movie um but she's you know well accomplished and she's been in movies since the 1930s and she also won a tony for um her role in the streetcar named desire the debut on broadway but she lost out on the feature film version of that to uh, vivian lee uh mary stewart masterson um no major awards for her except she does have an mtv nomination mtv movie award nomination for best on-screen duo for benny and june mm, okay um but we'll see her again in 1991's married to it she's known for some kind of wonderful radio land murders mary louise parker we talked about her uh, as well um cicely tyson the special appearance by cicely tyson as sipsy she has an honorary oscar from 2019 and a nomination for a sounder from back in the 70s She's been Emmy-nominated five times for her role in How to Get Away with Murder. She's been on ten episodes, oh, okay. but she's been nominated five different times for her guest appearances. Okay. For that. Um, she was in Roots. Um, she won an Emmy for Autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Um, she's, yeah, done a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and she's, you know, a legend at this point. Uh, who else do we need to talk about here really quickly? We have, um, <laughs> we didn't really talk about this character, Richard Rail, uh, who played Reverend Scoggins. 
who I think everyone knows him from Office yeah. Space. Yeah, he's the Reverend. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the jump to conclusions guy, is he not? Yes. 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 Uh, so he's there, and he's the Reverend that has sort of a uh, mm, little bit of an arc in there as well. But we'll see him in Shadows and Fog as well. He also played Ed Rooney in the Ferris Bueller TV series. Yeah, like I mean, that. I'd rather have him <laughs> as the principal than, than Jeffrey Jones. Yes. Well, knowing what we know about Jeffrey yeah. Jones. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for a TV series, that's not a bad casting. Um, and then I also definitely want to talk about, uh, we, well, we can talk about Frank Bennett another time because he's going to be in like five different other 1991 movies. So we'll talk about uh, Nick Cersei, who played Frank Bennett another day. Uh, but I do want to talk about Missy, who we didn't talk about by name, but she's in the classes with Evelyn. She's like her friend in the mm-hmm. marriage counseling stuff. Yeah. Uh, Constance Shulman. Um, these days, I think most people recognize her from Orange is the New Black. Um, the yoga lady. The yoga lady. Um, the yoga Jones is... Oh, that's her character name is yeah, Yoga Jones? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, we've seen her already in the 1991 movie He Said, She Said. She was the makeup girl in mm-hmm. that. Uh, she's also in McBain and Lethal Innocence. Um, she was also on the Loving TV series for a little bit. But I know her best as Patty Mayonnaise in um. Doug. So she's the voice of Patty Mayonnaise in the Doug TV series. And so it's really weird to see her doing like these like her, adult her roles at the exact same yeah, time. Yeah, because you think of her as like a teenaged girl. Yeah, like this preteen, <laughs> when you hear, like when you think of the sweetest that girl voice. in the world in, the, in this neighborhood. But she has that type of voice. I mean, oh, yeah. Th- where even now, because even as Yoga Jones, she still has that voice. Yeah, her voice has not changed. So yeah, I mean, it's if kind you of, want to hear Patty Mayonnaise as a, a it's kind convict, of like, then watch Orange is It's New like Black Pamela Adlon, like her voice, you can always... You can always hear Bobby Hill. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean, I mean, you can, even with The Simpsons, like any of the voice actors for that, you think Definitely. of... Definitely. So yeah, Patty Mayonnaise is in this movie, so I wanted to mention that real quickly there. Um, and then that's probably about it. In terms of awards... This did get a few uh, Oscar nominations, but it didn't win any awards from either the Oscars or Golden Globes. Oscar nominated for supporting actress Jessica Tandy. She lost to Mercedes Rule. Uh, adapted screenplay, lost to Silence of the Lambs, Ted Talley, script for that. Golden Globe nominations for the best comedy, lost to Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Kathy Bates for best actress, lost to Bette Midler for For the Boys. Tandy lost to Judy Davis for One Against the Wind. Um, and then the the most prominent win that this movie had that I could find that I think is worth mentioning is uh, the GLAAD Media Award for Outstanding Film. So glad um, it won the Best Outstanding Film shared with Frankie and Johnny. Hmm. So it got a little bit of recognition in the, uh, the gay and lesbian community for, you know, even though it wasn't overt, it was enough to be recognized by GLAAD. Yeah. And then obviously it was a huge box office success. Um, from from what I can find, the the eleventh grossing movie in the U.S. for nineteen ninety one made about eighty two million dollars on a budget of eleven. On to true crime and pop culture we go. Yep. So no true crime. The true crime was the death of Frank. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of like similar cases, but right. Yes. I. I'm, I I did try and find, like, you know, was this based off a true story? But it wasn't. I don't know if it was, like, loosely just based off of her life or anything like that. And she just wrote from what she saw, 
like growing up during that time maybe yeah it's it's tough to know it, you know writers write what they know so maybe she knew something right or heard something or heard a thing from a thing from a thing yeah more trivia about this movie and then i also found something else out that this was gonna this may be turned into a tv show I could see people trying to do that. Mm. But this was this kind of like blew my mind. And it was I got this from southernliving.com. Okay. It was just kind of like a 10 things you didn't know about the movie, but a lot of it we already talked about, you know, obviously like the lesbian relationship. But then, you know, there was another thing where this was supposed to be this was originally going to be written as a musical mm. instead of a movie. And then, you know, the Whistle Stop Cafe was based off a cafe that Fanny Flagg went to, and it's in Irondale, Alabama. But they have an actual real-life Whistle Stop Cafe that's mm. in Georgia. That's called the Whistle Stop Cafe. Yeah, it's like become a huge tourist. And I looked it up, location. and it's like still open. And it's in Juliet, Georgia, and it's 20 minutes from Macon, Georgia. Fried Green Tomatoes, the cuisine, was not a popular dish at all in the South until this movie was made, I guess. Mm. So, according to Southern Living, (laughs) this uh, Southern dish, Fried Green Tomatoes, wasn't really a Southern dish until the movie made them one. When the movie came along, it became such a huge interest that, you know, now fried green tomatoes, the dish, appeared, started to appear on menus across the South, and it was because of this movie. So now fried green tomatoes, the dish, is like a very Southern staple. So it's like a new Southern staple as of 30 years ago, I guess. I didn't know that at all, because... I mean, whenever I think of Southern food, I automatically think of fried green tomatoes. Or, like, gumbo, or, I don't know, like, shrimp and grits Yeah, maybe and it was stuff. just, like, super regional, or something that was... I don't know. It, it's weird how food evolves. You know, like, lobster was a garbage food for a long time. Right. Until it became not. I just, I mean, so yeah. it just, it wasn't a Southern cuisine until this movie made it one. Yeah. And now it's, like, all across the South, and... I, I like fried green tomatoes. They're all right. All right. <laughs> and then this other other article that I found on Variety is that Reba McIntyre is set to star in a new NBC series based on the novel and film Fried Green Tomatoes. And it's going to be... How recent is this article? October 2020. Oh, so okay. I don't know if this is happening. Like, I... I didn't see anything else. So this is a year ago, and I this is the only article. So I don't know if there's, like, further movement in this or not. Yeah, things can change Yeah, it could, quickly. like, th- three months later, they're probably like, nope. But I didn't see anything else. Reba McIntyre is Iggy, and then she's re- returning to the whistle stop after a decade away, but... And then it's her struggling with the changed town, her estranged daughter, I guess, and then a failing cafe and life and a life-changing secret. So 
So moving on to TV and music. So the top five songs that was on the Hot 100 as of December 28th, 1991. The end of the year, the last The one. very last week. The top five songs of 1991 were Black or White by Michael Jackson. That's like right when that video was uh-huh. released. Number two is It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday by Boys to Men. Okay. Number three, All for Love by Color Me Bad. Number four, Set Adrift, A Memory Bliss by PM Dawn. And then number five, When a Man Loves a Woman by Michael Bolton. All right. TV. Um, so December 27th was a Friday. And then, you know, it had TGIF, but it was all repeats because, you know, it's Christmas time. Yeah. And they did have on CBS, there was a Disney Christmas on Ice. Okay. After that, I tried to look this up. There was an episode of The Carol Burnett Show, and it had Robert Townsend as a guest. I tried to look this up, but I couldn't find it. Because I was like, oh, let's watch it. And on NBC was Matlock. After that was a show called Pacific Station. Have you heard of this show? No, but it sounds like it's either about firemen or policemen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it seemed like 1991 was the year of like you're a policeman or like a DA of some sort. Yeah. So Pacific Station centered around Detective Bob Ballard, who was played by Robert Guillaume, you know, from Soap. Mm-hmm. And a wisecracking veteran cop who had been assigned to Pacific Station in Venice, California, apparently usually a dumping ground for eccentric and incompetent officers. But this only lasted a season. And this episode was the second to last episode that was aired. So they only aired 10, and then the last three weren't even aired at all. Mm. So it was canceled. After the 10th episode, which was on January 3rd, 1992. So the... Yeah, they just buried it. And then after that was Dear John. And then we talked about this before, Reasonable Doubts. Uh-huh. That's with um, Marley Matlin and Mark Harmon. More detective and yep. DA stuff. Yeah. And then I thought this was funny. On Fox, <laughs> December 27th, so two days after Christmas... They had The Fly 2 on. Here's a happy little New Year's movie mm-hmm. for you. On to rankings and ratings. Uh, on your 1 to 5 star scale, where would you put Fried Green Tomatoes? Uh, I mean, I'm going to give this movie a 4. Okay. Uh, on my 0 to 4 star scale, I'm, I'm right up there with you. I'm going to say it's a 3.5. Um, yeah, I think uh, really much better than I expected overall. Um, I just wish maybe there was a little bit more to understand who different characters were at any given time. Yeah, like, who's Cleo? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with the ambiguity, but I shouldn't have to figure out, like, who is Mrs. Otis in relationship to Sipsy and, and Big George and, like, all these different things. Yeah. Like, that's kind of weird that I don't know. But anyway, uh, every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Um, I don't think you're going to find any new answers to some of the ambiguous questions that are no, there, but, you know, but it's, I mean, it's, it's fun just, to look for clues. Yeah. It's just a good movie to watch. Yeah, it's just in general a good, fun, uplifting movie. 
Uh, if you out there want to watch Fried Green Tomatoes as of this recording in October 2021, it's available on Showtime, digital rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. As far as you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. It does help us out a lot. You can email us at 1991moviewrewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991moviewrewind or go to 1991moviewrewind.com for the full list of 800 movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing Food Month with Salmon Berries. It's available on Prime, Tubi, Shout Factory TV, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.